Blog Talk Radio. Today, we haven't for the past few programs. We should have time today to answer questions. Um, now, we've got quite a few lined up by email, but if you'd like to call in to ask a question, uh, that number is 347 994 2981, and then press the number one. But we're going to start with an important topic, um, and it's related to coping strategies, which let me get this out of the way right up front, are a good thing. Teaching kids coping strategies. What we're going to be talking about today is what coping strategies we're teaching kids and whether those coping strategies are the right ones to be teaching kids, or at the very least, the ones we should be emphasizing. Um, So the question of the day is, as it relates to the coping strategies that we're teaching kids, are we teaching kids to be early or late? Now, most of you who listen to this podcast already know that one of the hallmark teachers of the CPS model is that it helps us be early. It helps us crisis prevention mode, not crisis management mode. And if you heard the podcast we did a few months ago, You heard me talking about the fact that one of the things that is just excruciating to me um, as it relates to how we treat kids is that millions upon millions of caregivers have been taught that crisis prevention begins with de-escalation. How ludicrous that is, but it has lots of caregivers intervening late, because by the time a kid is becoming escalated, uh, an unsolved problem, an expectation, the kid was having difficulty meeting, already occurred, already caused a kid's concerning behavior. Once again, uh, in the CPS territories, we know that concerning behavior is just the kid's frustration response, stress response, the way the kid is communicating, that there's an expectation they're having difficulty meeting. So even the behavior, even the concerning behavior is late. The unsolved problem, the expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting comes before that. That's what's early. But now let's start going later. If the kid's concerning behavior is big enough, we might say, Adults are going to conclude, based on their crisis prevention, but really crisis management training, that the kid is becoming escalated. And now, 
we are very late. And of course, if our de-escalation strategies don't get the job done, and they frequently don't, these kids are going to end up getting restrained or secluded. And now we are very, very late, unnecessarily. So all of you are probably already familiar with what I mean by early and late. Not only do you not want to be late, generally speaking, there's no reason for you to be late. If most caregivers were completing the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, so as to identify these skills that are coming into play when a kid is having difficulty responding adaptively to problems and frustrations, and the unsolved problems that are causing kids to respond maladaptively, if that was the standard pre-referral triage instruments in schools, even families, treatment facilities, we would almost never be finding ourselves in the heat of the moment, late. So one major issue is that a lot of our assessment instrumentation is focused on behavior, which is late, rather than the problems that are causing that behavior, which are early. Um, so all of you already know where I'm coming from on this early and late business. What pains me is that so many caregivers have been trained to be late. Are we doing the same thing with our kids in terms of the coping strategies that we are teaching our kids? Well, if you've heard me speak recently, you know the answer, regrettably, is all too often, yes. Not only are we late, we're teaching kids. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. And I'm going to start with a fairly benign one just to get the ball rolling. Uh, a lot of caregivers uh, place a lot of emphasis these days on getting kids to ask for help when they're struggling with a particular task. Now, those of you who know the CFPS model well know that the minute you start using the word when, you're late. You're already talking about when a kid is struggling. So uh, by the time the kid is asking for help, it's late. Um, they're already struggling with the task that they're asking for help with. Asking for help is late. Now, is asking for help a bad thing to teach kids how to do? No, asking for help is a good coping strategy. So the point is not teaching kids to ask for help is bad, the point is we are way overdoing it. Uh, asking for help is a wonderful self-advocacy skill, just not one we want kids to have to use very often. Wouldn't we be a whole lot better off if we were helping kids, not just us, kids, identify problems that they're struggling with, expectations they're having difficulty meeting, give them practice at thinking about what's making it hard for them to meet those expectations, and addressing what's making it hard for them to meet those expectations so they don't have to ask for help. Another thing we've been emphasizing a ton 
these days, thanks to PBIS and responsive classrooms, is taking a break. One of the most common things that happens these days when kids are struggling with a particular task, often an academic one, is we give them a break from that task. All right, that's, I'm not allergic to that idea. Once again, I think we're way overdoing it because by the time the kid is taking a break, we're late. The kid is already struggling. And that task is highly predictable. As I've been saying a lot these days, I've worked with kids who are getting 30, 40 breaks a day. Um, 30 to 40 breaks on Monday simply guarantees 30 to 40 breaks on Tuesday. Because not only is taking a break late, taking a break does not solve any of the problems that are causing a kid's concerning behavior in the first place. Once again, the answer to the question, are we teaching kids to be early or late? We're teaching kids to be late. Taking a break is late. Calming corners, late. As I always ask these days, when does a kid access the calming corner? Uh, when they're not calm. When are they not calm? Uh, when they're having difficulty meeting a particular expectation. They're already having difficulty meeting a particular expectation by the time they access the calming corner. It's difficulty meeting that expectation that's causing them to not be calm in the first place. The calming corner is late. I work with kids, I've worked with kids who were accessing the calming corner 15 to 20 times a day. As I always say, 15 to 20 calming corners on Monday simply guarantees 15 to 20 calming corners on Tuesday because calming corners don't solve any of the problems that are causing the kid to not be calm in the first place. Calming corners are late. I'm really sorry that the answer to our question is turning out the way it is. Wouldn't we and the kids be a whole lot better served if we were identifying the problems that were causing them to not be calm in the first place, causing them to need a break in the first place, and solving those problems collaboratively and, here's the key word, proactively so that they don't need a break and so that they almost never need the calming corner. Uh, a intervention that I've been talking a little bit more about lately, and this is pretty common in schools, is to call the parent after a kid has exhibited concerning behavior. So I just want to give you the timeline again. I know I'm being a little redundant here, but I do like to drive the point home on this. Um, by the time the kid exhibits a concerning behavior, there's already an expectation they're having difficulty meeting. The expectation is early. That's the unsolved problem. Uh, the behavior communicates that there's an expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting. And then the parent gets called um, after the concerning behavior. Calling the parent is late. And I'm always encouraging educators to be really careful about that calling the parent business. First of all, the parent 
is not in a very good position to solve the problem that's occurring at school that's causing the kids concerning behavior. So not exactly sure why we're calling parents about the kids concerning behavior in the first place. Okay, the truth, I'm not exactly sure what we expect them to do, but I know that when I got called as a parent, I'm glad to say I didn't get called very often, but I know that when I did get called, so I can relate to parents who do get called. And of course, there are parents who, when their kid is at school, shudder when the phone rings. Because it's either, let me tell you something bad, or I'll pick up your kid. I'm just mystified about what exactly we think the parents can do to solve the problem that caused the kids' concerning behavior that we're calling the parents about in the first place. Uh, having been on the receiving end of those calls, yes, even I um, felt the need to prove to the school folks that I was capable of delivering a muscular response. Let me show them not only that I'm taking them seriously, but I'll show them that I'm taking this seriously by being muscular. First of all, there's a lot of ways to show that you're taking something seriously besides being muscular. And secondly, being muscular isn't going to solve any of the problems that are causing the kids concerning behavior, that are causing us to call parents in the first place. All right. Um, I'm not exactly sure what coping skills any of those interventions are teaching. Once again, asking for help. It's fine. It's a self-advocacy skill. I guess we're teaching self-advocacy. I think there's a much more important skill to be teaching besides self-advocacy, and that is how to identify and solve problems so you don't need help with them in the first place. I suppose taking a break could teach a kid to walk away from trouble. Hmm. I'm not sure. If, and yeah. Teach a kid to walk away from trouble, not a tragic coping skill, but not the one we want to rely on the most. We want to teach kids how to solve the problems that are causing the trouble in the first place. Good for kids to know that there's a place they can go to calm themselves down, calming corner, but not perpetually, especially if the problems that are causing the kid to not be calm in the first place never get solved. But now finally, let's turn our attention to coping strategies more specifically. Are the coping strategies we're teaching kids early or late? Well, I got bad news. I find that a lot of the coping strategies people are teaching kids these days, and I'm not saying they're bad, I'm just saying we're overdoing it. A lot of the coping strategies we're teaching kids these days teach them what to do once they're becoming or all already frustrated. Late, we're teaching kids what to do when it's already late. We're teaching them to count to 10. We're teaching them to take deep breaths. We're teaching them to figure out what color they are, red, yellow, green, blue, late, 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 late. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be teaching kids those things. Yes, 
there's something to be said for knowing what to do once you're frustrated. There's, there's something much more important to be said for helping kids identify and solve problems before they get frustrated again about that still unsolved problem in the first place. We're teaching kids what to do when it's late. That should be 10% of what we're teaching kids. 90% helping kids identify problems, helping kids figure out what's making it hard for them to meet that expectation, and helping them learn how to solve those problems in an increasingly independent way. Well, those of you who know this model well know that um, I haven't mentioned Plan B yet in our first 17 minutes here, but um, yeah, what I'm talking about is Plan B. And yes, I fervently believe that what millions of caregivers who've been trained to de-escalate, been trained to believe that crisis prevention begins with de-escalation, what those millions of caregivers need is to learn how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to identify those unsolved problems proactively so that they become highly predictable. And they need to learn how to solve problems collaboratively and proactively with kids. That lies in the balance. That's how we help caregivers um, stop restraining and secluding kids. That's how we help caregivers come to the recognition that de-escalation isn't even sort of prevention. It's crisis management. And a lot of caregivers need to know that. Now you know what else they need to know how to do. Uh, eliminating restraint and seclusion um, is not far-fetched. It's doable. It doesn't take anywhere nearly as long as people think it's going to. But it does mean changing our timing. It also means teaching kids how to be early instead of putting our primary emphasis on teaching them what to do once it's already late. I would love to hear your comments on that. Um, the call-in number again, 347-994-2981 if you're listening to the program live. But if you're a caregiver who has any question either about our special topic of the day or about anything related to the CPS model, feel free to call in. This is your chance. Once again, 347-994-2981. Callers take priority on the program. Um, but what we're going to do, because there are no callers, is number one, I'm going to bring Kim Hopkins, our Director of Outreach, onto the program at this point. Kim, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? I am doing well. And thank you for being on time. Much better for you to be early than late. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, Kim. I was very worried that, that very worried 
that that wasn't funny. <laughs> and indeed, your laughter may have been polite, so there was always the possibility that it wasn't funny. I, got, I did get a real funny. chuckle. It was a real. That chuckle. was a real chuckle. It was a real yeah. chuckle. But, well, as you know well, and you know me, I'm passionate about this. What's not funny at all is how often we find ourselves in the heat of the moment with kids with lousy options available to us, all because we've been trained to believe. Well, we've been trained how to be late. It blows my mind. Um, yeah, that I was, balance I was just, we are trying. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was just got off with a school, and I was talking about the same exact thing of how I spent my early career focusing on coping skills until I realized they, were, they weren't getting me anywhere most of the time. And uh, I needed to get earlier. And by the way, I just want to reiterate, I said this at the very beginning, it doesn't mean that teaching kids coping skills are bad. It doesn't mean that knowing what to do once you're already frustrated is bad. I suppose that could serve you well in life in some ways. But anticipating, identifying, and solving problems proactively, that's where the action's at. Otherwise, we have a lot of very frustrated human beings um, who still don't know how to solve the problems that are causing them to be frustrated in the first place. Yeah. The example I give is me when I'm booking airplane flights. What I've been telling people in my talks these days is that when I'm booking a flight, I'm already anticipating that the flight will be delayed or canceled. So I'm always looking for whether I've got backup, you know, a flight afterwards or other airlines going to the same place, just to make sure that if the worst case scenario occurs, I'm delayed and I'm not gonna make my connection or my flight is canceled, I can still get where I'm going. But what I've been telling people is what I'm not doing, and of course I'm checking my airline app before I fly to see what the flight status is. That's not a guarantee. There are still surprises. Um, what I'm not doing, though, is waiting for the gate agent to make the announcement that the flight is delayed or canceled before I start thinking about what my options are. Because by the time my flight is delayed or canceled, if I'm surprised, I'm going to start getting hot. I'm going to start getting frustrated. And um, that is not the best state of mind for me to be thinking about my options. Um, much better for me to have considered my options beforehand. Now, is that always possible? No. Is it possible a lot? Yes. Could kids do that? Yes, but not if, they're, not if we're mostly teaching them what to do once they're already frustrated. Any further thoughts on that? I just think that that's a really great example that if you've done any traveling in the last year or two, you can probably relate to. Um, and I agree, you know, I am the same. Once I get anxious or nervous that I'm not going to get where I'm going, it's like IQ points start falling out of my ears. I can't think as clearly, you know. <laughs> I think you could probably see them falling out, actually. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree that that pre-planning uh, really makes it clear to what our goal is with kids. It should be. Um, so 
coping strategies, good, but especially if we're teaching kids how to be early. Shall we turn our attention to the email that has come in? Great. Here we go. This one says, hi, I recently attended day one of the two-day online Lives in the Balance training. We just had a virtual training uh, back in November. Um, if you missed it, you can watch it on a pay-per-view basis uh, from our website. Uh, you can access it. Continue with the email here. I am fully immersed in all of the resources and working through the LSIP with regards to my 17, almost 18-year-old son. I've identified some things that I think will likely end up as our three top priority unsolved problems. But the question I have is around something like vaping. I did a search on this and didn't find anything. When it comes to teen substance use slash vaping, is that a quote-unquote problem to be solved? I'm not sure where this comes in when an addiction might be at play. Would you be able to direct me to any resource or podcast or anything where this might have come up? Thank you. Uh, and I think it has come up on a previous podcast, but not lately that I can remember. So let's bring it to the top now. Um, Kim, you want to take a crack at that one? What do we do when a kid is having difficulty meeting our expectations around vaping and or substance abuse? I do recall talking about the word addiction, and I think it was being used most recently on a podcast in terms of screens, but, you know, you had some powerful words to say around um, that might indicate that this is just a very tricky problem to solve. <laughs> and so I think um, we encourage caretakers to think about what is your expectation when it comes to vaping or other substance use and figuring out some words. I mean, I, I think we're often very clear about what we don't want to have happen, but really putting words together that tell, you know, that indicate to the kid what we do want to have happen, what we do find acceptable, and that's the starting point for this conversation starter, which is the wording of the unsolved problem. I'll kick it over to you to add on to that. Well, and I think you brought up an important point. I think what I question is whether using the word addiction adds value. Uh, that's point number one. I think that um, the word addiction tends to get people quite um, worked up. What there's addiction means for a lot of people, the kids doing it a really lot, and mm -hmm. the kids doing it a really lot more than we would like the kid to be doing it, or we don't want the kid to be doing it at all. But addiction often. Um, causes us to feel like it's out of reach, like it's something that's beyond the scope of problem solving. And that I don't agree with, whether it's screens or vaping or substance use. Um, now, the first thing you said is spot on. This is going to be a tough one, but you still have a problem that needs to be solved, and you still have to word your expectation well in the wording of your unsolved problem. But remember, the wording of your unsolved problem is just the conversation starter. It's how you get the conversation going. It's your entry point. Um, you wanna hear about 
what's making it hard for the kid to vape less or not at all, uh, abstain from substances or use them less. You want that information, so you don't want to word your unsolved problem in a way that would make it harder for the kid to give you that information. And now the conversation has begun. Um, the word addiction, does it add value? I'm not sure. Might you need a specialist if this is a chronic issue um, and your conversation doesn't get you very far? Maybe. I got to tell you, that's, that's one that I deal with fairly often. And I can't remember the last time I felt need to refer the kid to a substance use specialist or even to a program. Um, we get the information we're looking for in that empathy step of plan B. And what's interesting is there's a lot of substance use programs out there, and a lot of them are still very oriented toward plan A. And so often the information we need from the kid about what's making it hard for them to abstain or use less, we never get that information because nobody asked. That's where I start. And um, to tell you the truth, I would at the moment at the moment, treat this like any other unsolved problem, except that it's probably going to be a little harder to solve. But we need some information, and the empathy step is where you're going to get it. Anything further to add on that? Yeah. Just that I'm thinking about how with these types of challenging unsolved problems, it can be particularly hard for us adults to stay neutral and not judgmental and suspend our emotional response in the empathy step but real critical if we want to get information that makes sense and helps us understand where the kid's coming from so that we can help solve the problem in an, an adaptive way. Yes. And I think you mentioned this, but also super important to um, make sure we know what our expectation is going in. That's not only going to help with the wording of the unsolved problem, but we need to know what our expectation is around vaping. None, some. What does some mean? We need to know what our expectations are around substances. None, some. If some, under what conditions, some. Very important for us to know that so that, um, number one, we can word our unsolved problem well and so that we're in a better position to tell the kid what our concerns are in the definable concern step and in a much better position to come up with a solution that's truly realistic and truly mutually satisfactory in the invitation step. Shall we turn our attention to another one? Sounds good. Uh, we do have a caller. Let's do it. Area code 647. I don't know where that is, but you are on with Kim and me. Hi. Welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thank you. You can hear me okay? We can hear you fine. Perfect. So I also have a 17-year-old um, who uh, up until I would say the last year sounded like most of the uh, kids that parents call on about, <laughs> um, you know, a variety of diagnoses, a um, 
series of schools that didn't understand it didn't work out and weren't able to understand that uh, behavior meant someone was struggling. Um, and uh, sort of, I would say, did a B-minus job with uh, using the collaborative and proactive solutions in that I think we really, really understood the um, kids do well if they can part, but weren't always collaborative in our problem solving. Um, now, at 17, um, we're in a situation where having sort of thought things had had rounded out, found a very good place for um, him to be at school, et cetera, um, things have sort of tanked. And the problem I'm having now is that there is, I'm unable to do any sort of conversation. Um, my child is unable to engage in any kind of plan B right now. And in fact, um, says things like, you know, if I say, hey, you know, I noticed we, we got a phone call from the teacher at one point saying, you know, no work is being handed in. Absolutely no schoolwork is being done. School is not school, going to school about two hours of every week. Um, so, you know, notice you seem to be having a hard time completing the work for this class, specifically for this project. Um, we're not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking to you about it. You know anything. Um, and in fact, if you try to talk to me about it, I'm going to scream and run away. Um, this has been going on for about two months, and I feel like we've been really pretty good about just plan seeing literally everything. Um, you know, we put no pressure on to go to school. We um, put no pressure on about bedtime, uh, which is sometimes, you know, 2, 3 a.m. because there's a lot of video game playing with friends until that point. Um, I would say my son did not have a crowd up until about last year. Um, within a variety of special programs, and so everyone was sort of struggling socially, and so usually made you know one, maybe two friends, and now really has a, a lovely group that the school also thinks is really good, but they do stay up really late playing video games, uh, which makes it really hard to get up and go to school. I think, though, that he's trying. Like, he comes upstairs sometimes at midnight, and then I hear two hours later back downstairs. Um, so I really, I genuinely think He's struggling and suffering, and you know, there's probably a variety of mental health diagnoses get thrown at it. But I have spent most of his life co-regulating, most of his life, um, you know, really being an advocate and really sitting down and saying, "Hey, buddy, let's work this out." And now we are completely shut out. And so I guess my question is, how do I have tried texting? I have tried sending an email note. <laughs> I have tried leaving mm -hmm. a post-it note on the door and sort of nonverbal communication pieces also. Um, and none of it. It's, it's, you know, you don't know anything. You're, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, sometimes quite, uh, I would say, verbally aggressive. So that's what we, we need to help with. Um, this does not sound fun. Um, no. It sounds like you are... <laughs> sounds like you are giving it your all. Um, what do you think is going on with your son? Um, all right, full disclosure, I have a background in child development, and I actually work with little children who struggle behaviorally at school. <laughs> I'm trying to help parents and teachers understand what's going on. <clears throat> so I think that some of it is that I think the expectations are internalized at this point. 
And I think that even though we have planned seed expectations, my, child, my son is still well aware of the vast gap between what the world and sort of normalcy and, <clears throat> and his great intellectual capacity demand of him and what he's actually capable of doing. So I think um, there's sort of this internalization so that even when I, you know, if I, I go down and offer a cup of tea, it is taken as, <clears throat> you know, what are you doing down here? You need to get, you need to get moving. Um, I think that kids, I think that teens that have been closest to parents need to push the hardest. You know, we've really been really, really actively involved much more than other parents have had to be. You know, sometimes I, I literally had to physically, a lot of sensory issues, so I sometimes literally had to physically regulate. So I think it makes developmental sense to push us away even harder. Um, and I think that, I mean, it might just be that this has to go on for a long time before it believes um, that we are not just trying to get it to go to our agenda. Um, my concern, I think, about that one is that I do think that I don't, I don't want him to feel like we're giving up on him. I don't want him to feel like um, we don't believe that there's a possibility for change or a possibility for growth. Um, and I'm a little worried if we just sort of let months go by where there's, you know, sort of um, no attempts to make conversation about expectations, not even expectations, no attempts to make conversation about what it is hoping to do, um, that it'll feel like we gave up on him. Yes, and that, uh, all of that makes sense. Um, my question is, sounds like you are doing mostly plan C at this point. Mostly. For sure. I don't know if that's intentional or because you don't, you don't want to do A and he won't do B. That really only leaves one option, yeah. C. Is that, does that explain why Plan C is the only thing you're doing at the moment? Yes and no. Partly, you know, sort of mid-August, I had what I like a mini revelation that I was vastly over, I was vastly underestimating how much of a challenge things that are considered just normal daily activities actually presented. And as a result, like I, I, he was burnt out. He was burnt out utterly. And just so we just really proactively you know, went and did the whole ALSUP, convinced my husband of all of this, um, went and did the ALSUP and, you know, really saw the vast list of things that are hard. I mean, there is a lot going on, right? Um, and so we needed to plan C just because I've been there, right, feeling burnt out. And when you're burnt out, anything anyone comes at you with, even if it's something you would, under normal circumstances, to be totally capable of, just feels like a demand and you have to build up a wall that says no. Um, and so I felt like we had to plan C everything because we had really been sort of overestimating what, what expectations were actually presenting a challenge. Um, and I sort of at that point had this rosy idea that we would do that for, you know, a month, six weeks, and then <laughs> we would be able to sort of um, start plan B. And we have, you know, I, we've tried with some very small problems. You know, we didn't attack school attendance right away. We sort of attacked, you know, um, microwave popcorn at 2 a.m., <laughs> You know, sort of very, very specific things because I wanted to present success. I wanted to show, you know, okay, that's like we're actually being collaborative now. And I was very explicit 
about saying, you know, we haven't always asked for you to tell us what your needs are in these conversations. And I really want, you know, I've tried to really explain the CPS model. Um, and it worked, I would say, you know, two or three times. And then at some point, they just got this wall put up. And the two or three times seemed to have been okay. You know, we're not making like my popcorn at 2 a.m. anymore. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I can't figure out where, I can't figure out how to plan B at this point. Well, um, so a few things that come to mind, then we'll see what Kim thinks. Um, first of all, this sounds maybe more complex than what we might be able to address satisfactorily in this format, but a few things come to mind. I don't have a great sense about your son's current state of mind, um, where he's at, um, depression, anxiety. I get why... <laughs> perhaps social anxiety, I'm not sure what we've got going on here that um, may also be factoring in. The fact that he's not going to school, not engaging with you, but he does engage, so that makes me feel a little bit better about not engaging, but it sounds like he's not really engaging with a world that would place expectations on him at the moment. So I understand yeah. the rationale for Plan C, but I'm not I'm reasonably certain that Plan C alone is not going to get you there. So I get the rationale. Let's see if we take away all expectations, or virtually all. He's more willing to talk. I just am not sure it's going to work out that way, so I don't want to abandon and B. But I also don't know anything yeah. about his involvement with mental health professionals, whether he's on any meds already. So like I said, there's a lot of information missing. But as it relates to yeah. applying the CPS model, um, I'd be really thinking about, um, number one, what would be not my number one? It sounds like you started with some ones and he did participate but you wouldn't have put them at the top of your list, which is why they didn't really address the biggest issues here. Um, he's, he's largely mm -hmm. disengaged from the world, except for, for his friends online, as I'm hearing, right? They are school friends that he does hang out with in person sometimes. It's not just Good. an online so thing, yeah. He's immersed yeah. in the world of peers, but not in a world that is placing any expectations on him whatsoever. Yep. So we got to get him back, at least partially, and talking with him about fairly benign unsolved problems, while I understand why you started there, hasn't given you or him relief from the bigger picture issues. Fair to say? Yeah. All right. So, number one, got a bad feeling I know the answer to this, but when he says he's not talking <laughs> to you about something, um, my question would be, well, then, can you talk to about this stuff? Because our current status quo can't stay. Um. I know you're in a bad spot. 
I can't just watch you be in a bad spot and just let it be. Plan C is just letting it be. Um, I don't think yeah. anybody's going to be happy with the outcome if all we're doing is plan C. That's yeah. probably the kind of messaging I would begin giving. Um, but there might be someone or some things that are related to the big picture that he might be willing to talk with you about. But I think the general message here needs to be, I can't just stand by and watch you suffer. The status quo is not something we can just do nothing about. What do you think? I think that's my <clears throat> I think that's my instinct also, which is sort of why I called. I didn't want to feel like I was plan A and plan B. Does that make sense? Um, that statement is neither I, A nor B nor C. Yeah, <clears throat> we have. Um, I, I, we have tried, um, you know, yes, I will go see, uh, I mean, I think there's depression, there's social anxiety, there's also, I think 17 is a terrifying and daunting age anyway, especially if you've only ever in your life found one place that you found a crowd of people you felt comfortable with. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, we've missed, we've <laughs> cut ties with several providers because in the end, uh, he was unable to get himself to participate. Um, but I think sort of who will you talk to is a good question. I, I I am trying hard not to anticipate that the answer is, you know, I've got this. I'm on it. I'm doing what I need to do. I, I you know, and, and the teachers are very understanding about work, um, which I think is great, but um, it does lend itself to sort of this, don't worry about it. I'm, I've, you know, I have everything under control. Well, I'm a little worried that would be the answer. <laughs> yeah. It could be the answer, but you've got your own eyes. Um, so you can mm -hmm. share what you're seeing. Um, and here's what's interesting. Let's pretend, I don't, I don't know, so I don't even dangerous for me to speculate, but let's say it's true. He's depressed, he's anxious, and he has social anxiety. What I'm hearing is that we're still placing a lot of academic expectations on him. That's not plan C. So I guess my question so, is. Yeah. So I was like, let's, yeah. let's take off. I was like, we, do we need to take the semester entirely off? Let's, you know, well, let's I wouldn't not, jump to that. That's what I mean when I say I think. I would. Well, I, no, but I had, I I wouldn't had sort jump of off to that. that. No, 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 no. I'm, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump to that. I wouldn't offer it. There does need to be a meeting of the minds on what should we be expecting right now because the current status quo isn't working. I think that's yeah. the conversation. You're not using plan A when you say that the current status quo isn't working. You're not using plan A when you are skeptical about him saying he's got it under control. But this is what I mean by we're missing the total picture here. So it's not possible for us to guide you as well as we might like. I think your speculations are pretty close to the total picture, actually. <laughs> Just, you know, I think your speculations are pretty spot on, actually. I think you, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a, an autism diagnosis that comes along with a huge amount of so, is predominantly social anxiety and, and um, 
a you know an ADHD diagnosis that makes interacting with engagements around school incredibly difficult, and a uh, I think a ton of depression that I, a lot of which sparks probably from just you know that's a spiral right. Um, there's you know really really ter- and also also you know to get back to the whole purpose of like to back to the main theme of the show today. In my mind, this is the outcome of not having caught things early enough to be able to identify what problems are and then go ask for help for them before you're in a situation where you do something that school authorities make you feel like you're a bad kid for. Yep. Right? So, I mean, you have a lot like, I, I almost didn't call because it felt off topic, but um, yeah, no, I, I guess when we get off, I wonder if someone can point me towards somebody locally who I could talk to also. If you get on the CPS Connection website, I looked up your area code. Sounds like you are in the Toronto area. Mm-hmm. Unless that's not true. That is true. If you get on the CPS Connection website, you may find providers who are nearby. If you don't, go to the contact form on the Live and the Balance website, and we'll try to help you out. Okay. I hope that despite the complexity of your situation and the fact that we don't know your son at all, um, I hope this has been a little bit helpful. You're not using Plan A if you tell your son what you're seeing. Um, We've got to make sure we've got our expectations set up for what we think we're dealing with. Um, Let's see if we can set the stage for him to begin talking again. I think that's that piece is is very helpful. The fact that sort of you know saying this is what I'm seeing and I have concerns and you need like you know, you need to talk to somebody even if it's not me is not um, that I'm not planning Plan B and doing that is is a very helpful piece you are of information. Not. So excellent. We wish you the best and we appreciate you calling in. Thank you and so much for your help. All right. If you don't find the help you're looking for, get in touch with us. Take care. I will be in touch. Thanks. Bye-bye. We went a little bit over, but that's going to do it for us today. I hope this has been a very informative program for you in one way or another. Kim, thanks as always for throwing in your two cents. Um, We'll see you all next month um, in 2024 with another special topic and more of your emails and calls. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.